Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 202. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me again, my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of and founder of Zega Financial, Jay Pastorcelli. Jay, Happy New Year. How you doing? Happy New Year, Derek. Doing well. What uh, what number are we on now? Last time I was with you was the, the benchmark 200, which again, I will congratulate you for passing the 200 yes. uh, number. Great job. So where are we at today? 202? Is that where we are? Yeah, 202. And uh, I guess if all goes well, what is it, 52 weeks a year? So we'll be at 353 or four. I don't know, whatever it is towards the end of the year. Well, unless we do a special episode. I tell you what, Jay, we're, we've been getting a lot of data lately, and we're going to start going into earnings season. But I want to start here. And I always look at things, and I'm, I've been looking at this labor force participation rate because some data came out today, and it said basically wages were less hot than expected. And then, of course, we had a pretty strong jobs number. But there's something called the labor force participation rate. And I'll explain this, and then we can kind of discuss it, Jay. The most recent number is 62.3%. And I'll explain what that is in a second. It's lower than, you know, the January, February 2020 number. So we still haven't recovered from, you know, pre-pandemic levels. It is lower than going into... You're talking about participation rate, not not unemployment rate. Just correct. Up. Okay, participation rate. Good. Just to clarify, because I think before we get off of it, the jobs number you know seems to be well received by the market, right? So uh, you're you're dig- you want to dig into kind of one of the components here that kind of make it all up that maybe not everybody's paying attention to. Yeah, I want to get into this and kind of come back around to the the number. Um, this, you know, and we'll, we'll put a link to, to the chart to uh, the Fred Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis has a, a great chart on this. We're still lower uh, and we've been trending lower since, uh, you know, December, uh, February, January of, of uh, 2008 and lower from the peak pre-2000. So we have been trending lower. We started to come up and form a base and start a new trend prior to, you know, February of, of 20. But what does 62.3% mean? What, what does the labor force participation rate mean? So here's the way this works. And when you hear numbers and it's like, oh, you have the labor force participation rate, you have the unemployment rate. Let me just explain it this way. Let's say your total population is 1,200 people. Why 1,200 people? Because it's easy for us to do math. And of that population, a thousand of those 1,200 are ages 15 to 64. That's what's considered part of the labor force because uh, those people are, are qualified or eligible to, to work, but that's where you define it. And so let's say of those thousand people of the total population of 1,200, 990 are employed. That means 990 out of 1,000, your working age uh, you know, population, uh, are employed. 10 are unemployed. And by unemployed, I mean they are unemployed. And if they get called to take a survey, they're saying, yeah, we, we're unemployed and we're actually actively looking for work within the last X number of weeks. So 10 people out of the 1,000 uh, participating labor force, and it happens to be 100%, we got a 1% unemployment rate. 10 people out of, out of 1,000. 
well, let me, let me go here and then we'll come back and start to discuss this. Let's say that uh, of those five people that are unemployed, five of them sort of gave up. Meaning if they get called, they say, yeah, I don't have a job, but I'm, I haven't looked within the next number, last number of weeks. So what happens is of those thousand working age population, 995 people are now participating. Why? 990 have a job. Five are considered unemployed for a total of 995. So now you're not at a 100% labor force participation rate, 995 into 1,000 is 99.5%. What's interesting, though, is that you have 990 employed, five unemployed, but now the five unemployed goes into 995 and your unemployment rate drops from 1% to 0.5%. And so the point of going through this is that we are probably roughly about 2.7 million people away uh, from equaling, you know, we would need 2.7 million people to either get a job or start looking for a job actively to get our labor force participation rate up to levels that were pre-pandemic. And there's a lot to unpack here, but Jay, I think, you know, my point of bringing this up is two, twofold. One is supply of workers is still lower than it was, let's say, you know, pre-pandemic. And two is that let's say those 2.7 million people decided to, you know what, I'm, I want to actively look for work, but I don't have a job. If they were included in the, in the computation, I think unemployment would be more like 5.1%. And today, Jay, I think it was what, 3.5 or 3.7, something like that. So let me kind of throw a T and see if you have any thoughts on this uh, with regard to the economy and inflation and everything else with this. Yeah. So look, I think it's it's interesting to to look at the labor for uh, labor force participation rate to know how many people are out there in the workplace. I you know when I think about that, it's you know the 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 greater the need, right? Uh, or the and the the more you'll see more people come in. Meaning, you know, like look, if your job isn't paying you enough uh, and your spouse wasn't working, then maybe they do go to work, right? So I think there's a little bit of of that kind of a thing that's going on there. I do think there's a lot of people that dropped out of the labor force after 2020 that have not come back. That's true. We kind of hear that number all the time on the Thursday reports, uh, uh, you know, with, with claims. So, you know, I think, you know, Derek, I think while this is an interesting number, I don't think we could compare today's kind of economy to what the peak was in 2000, right? I mean, we're kind of in a different place. It's been 20 plus years uh, since that, you know, kind of peaked out. Um, is it concerning? Um, it might be. Uh, so then you got to try to think about what are the what are the causes of this, right? If everybody's doing just fine with only, you know, 60% of the, uh, 63% of the eligible workers going to work, then maybe that's okay, right? Uh, or, it's because maybe they're making their money or getting money somewhere else or getting, you know, their expenses are lower or, you know, the people, the wages have gone up so that the main breadwinner is just making more, right? Wage inflation probably has something to do with this too. You know, I think there's a lot of, I think, listen, it's an interesting data point. We talk about the data point. I think it's fair to say the more people working, the more economic activity you create, period, right? But uh, I'm not sure if it's anything that would have us kind of discount the strength of the current labor market, right? I mean, uh, 
I don't know. Like, I don't know the number of, you know, how, how has the number of eligible uh, workers for the labor force participation rate changed, right? Is it because there's people that were just decided to retire a few years early before that, would you say 64, 65 cutoff? Maybe that's something that happened. They just said, fine, I'm done. Uh, is, it a, is it a demographic change? Is it a policy thing, right? Is it, you know, or, you know, I don't, we try not to get political on the, the podcast discussion, but is it that, you know, we're giving more stuff away to people, right? I don't, I don't know, right? I'm, but when I look at, um, you know, the general economy and the, the, the data point that we've used for a long time, which is the unemployment rate, I mean, that still seems to be on the lower end of things, right? If you want a job, it seems like you could go find one today which to me is one of the most important parts about, you know, keeping the economy going strong. I'll mention too that, uh, you know, the size of the, the available labor force, the ages 15 to 64, how does that change? Well, people could age into it, meaning if there's a, a huge amount of 14-year-olds who all of a sudden turn 15, you could have people come to the U.S., uh, immigrate, is immigrate the right word, to the U.S.? or Immigrate coming in, yeah. Yeah, or leave you know, you could have people leave and that would, you know, if they're working age, that would change the number. You could have people, unfortunately, pass away. You could also have people prior to 64 decide to retire early and say, I'm good. I'm done. I'm, I'm 50. I'm, I'm, you know, going to go live in Florida with everyone else who's retired and you, Jay. That, uh, and me. Yeah. Yeah. I think this does get back to the wage thing, though. One of the things that the Fed is really worried about is a spiral in wages. Wages are certainly going up. Interesting today, though, Jay, the numbers came out and it was less hot, meaning less high than you know, below expectations. But they go back and they revise prior months and they kind of look at things. Those revisions, uh, those prior months were revised lower. Markets really like that, Jay, right? Uh, yeah, right. Because the if it shows a little bit of the economy being cooler, this is kind of like a weird bad news is good news thing, where if the economy is a little cooler, maybe the Fed doesn't have to be more hawkish slash aggressive in the number of rate raises they do in 2023. And the market is very much looking forward to uh, the Fed pausing or you know stopping its rate raises. So I think um, I think that's why it was uh, uh, well well received, uh, especially with the revisions. We don't think too. I mean. So this will come out either, you know, I think Sunday, uh, what's today, the 6th, 7th, it'll come out the 8th, 9th, 10th, right around there. It's going to be before CPI. But Jay, don't you think CPI is still the headline thing that everybody's watching? I mean, more so than jobs. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, right? That has been the, you know, besides the actual Fed meetings, I think CPI has been the biggest market mover of the last nine months. Uh, and... Uh, we, that's that's coming out Thursday, and you know certainly we want to uh, keep an eye on that um, because, like I guess the thought is right. If that comes in lower, I know this is super obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. If that comes in lower than expected, the feeling is that, that you should expect is that okay, the Fed's having the impact that they need, and they'll slow down, and they won't raise rates, meaning they'll be less. It's the right word, constrictive, restrictive on monetary policy. Don't you think, too, that I know, you know, the year over year is something. So when, I, when this comes out, you'll see a month over month, meaning we're going to get the December CPI data. 
we get that in January. You know, you always get it from the month prior because that's the whole month that you have. It was 0.1% in November. And of course, shelter and food still increased. We can dive into that or maybe we won't. We've already kind of beat that up. So that's a month over month. Year over year, it was 7.1%. And so it's like, oh, how how the basket of goods that they measure in October. And then you come out in November and they say, okay, that was up 0.1% month over month. And then you said, well, what was the basket in November in 2022 versus the basket in 2021? And that's a year over year. Jay, I kind of think though, the year over year becomes irrelevant. And really what matters is on a month to month basis, like what is that? It's, it's really interesting because like GDP data, we look at a quarter and then we annualize it up, you know, essentially it's not exactly how sure. it works, but, you know, times four, yeah. but we don't do that the same way with CPI. Like it comes out and we measure as I just explained. But to me, like, I think the year over year is irrelevant. Because at some point, if you have no change over the next 12 months, well, the year over year is going to be zero. It's not going to, ha- you know, it's not going to be the case. But don't you think like, I think we need to, add, we need to look at this differently. Well, you, if you like focusing on the one month, right, because you're trying to look at the smaller changes that are occurring, right, to see what the trend is, I think that makes sense. I do think the year over year number can can still be interesting to people that you know like to take a much more you know broader macro view on things to see you know how you know what is the overall trend although i think you add volatility when you go month to month right but the year over year derek to me i i still think there's value there i i you know watching that number tells you like okay broad strokes you know inflation is stopping right or it's not but uh i you know that's interesting your zero you know, percentage example, which you quickly dismissed as it's not going to happen. Um, it would be it would be really hard to have a flat year, right? You'd have to have plus and minus months in there. So let me. So then I'll say, do you just expect there won't be any minus months in there? Because I could see some flat months in there. So you're saying, hey, we won't have any zero mo- uh, negative months. No, I and I I wasn't saying that that's it's going to be zero. I think I'm I'm saying like l- let me just bring it back. Let's say it's zero point one percent each and every month, uh, December to December. So December through next December of next year is is a uh, is zero point one percent. You would have you know because you compound it, inflation would be up one point two percent at the end of that time. That's my point. Like if we're only getting zero point one and zero point two on average, you know, month over month. Um, you know, let's say you, you got a, a 0.2% over, you know, that period. It's like 2.4% would be your year-over-year inflation at the end of that time, you know. So, yeah, I'd, I'm just saying like it's... All right, let me jump ahead because the Fed is t- saying they want 2%, right? They're keeping their 2% target, right? And for years, it was below 2%, right? And they're like, we can't seem to get it above 2 Now we're well over 2 so, you know, by, you know, the the examples that you're giving, we need to see some like point ones or zeros in those monthly data points for the Fed to hit their 2% target, don't we? Yeah. And I'm saying we're getting it. That's what we're getting. Like it was 0.1%. So a bad number for me for December would be let if it's 0.3% or 0.4% or anything higher than that, but 0.1, sure. 0.2%. Those are fine. It's like, hey, Fed, if this is what's going to happen, you did it. Congratulations. 
And if they're still raising, they're saying, oh no, we're going to get higher numbers in the future. So we have to raise now to prevent that. Like, Jay, they already got what they wanted. I mean, how many, so how many months till they decide that they did get it? Because I agree, one month, two months aren't going to change the Fed's uh, perspective uh, and certainly not cut, right? But so what do you think? Five months, four months till they really buy it? I think seeing like a negative print one month would count for multiple months, which is kind of where I'm going here. Like, I would not be surprised to see a negative inflation print one of these months. No, neither would I. Of course, you know, it, a lot of that, I don't want to get into the components we've done on other shows. If I remember which show we did that on, I'll link to it. But it's like, you know, some of these things are lagging and will continue to go up like like shelter, you know, owner's equivalent rent. And then energy is still the wild card. Like if you get any material move higher in energy, then CPI is going to jump. You know, the core won't. I think this comes back to the Fed the last thing they want to have happen is them to stop early and inflation to, to tick back and be blamed for it and say, you yeah, know, told us that flat out, right? We're not going to make the same mistake. They're going to overdo it, right? Yeah, they would. They are. They prefer to err on the side of over tightening, uh, pretty much their words, than the risk of a, uh, a you know, of a bounce back in, of inflation. Bounce back meaning bad. The Fed always says they don't look at the markets. I think they obviously do. But there was a kind of a joke or meme going around with, uh, oh, you guys want to start bidding up crypto coins that have no intrinsic value, meme stocks, stuff with their earnings? Watch. Just watch me. I'll raise rates to 8%. Don't even think about bidding that stuff up. Like, yeah. I, think, I think they <laughs> want, like, I don't think they want the market to run. Like, that's, that's the thing. Um, but at some point, Jay, I mean, they, they've got to make a pivot. And I still keep going back to 94, 95. It's like the same. The rates are different. The players are different. The markets are different. But it's setting up to be eerily similar on a timeline where they raised all in 94. And then I think they raised up to May. And by September, they were lowering. I could see that being a scenario. Well, I, I mean, sure. I think we should. That's. Gosh, now I'm the broken record, right? We always said the risk was that the Fed would overdo it, right? The Fed would make a mistake and overdo it, the, the main risk to the market. Now, uh, looking at the market today, right? I'm just taking a quick look here. Uh, the S&P is at 38.70. Get, you know, that has been kind of the mid-range of the S&P since back, you know, see, we could go back to September it was there. You could go all the way back to June. It was in this range, right? So you could argue that the market has been, while volatile, sideways for the last six months. But what have rates done in the last six months, right? They're up like 300 basis points in the last six months. So, you know, Derek, it's part, I would, let's just say this, right? So, Yes, you don't want to fight the Fed. Yes, they're holding down the rebound. Yes, they want to slow down the economy, which would lead to lower earnings and all of that kind of stuff. But have they really have they really caused damage to the market? Right? If they step back and said, "Look, we did this historic, you know, amount of uh, of rate increases," and yeah, there was the initial shock. Sure, it's undoing you know pretty much twenty twenty one, but. Market's been sideways since we did this. We have more runway to go, and the market will be accepting of that. 
And I'll throw in one last thing to that argument. So here's the, the other side of that. When you look at, say, the 10-year over that same time period, right, it's actually also fairly flat. I mean, we're just barely above where we are today. Today, we're 3.5, 3.57, and we're at 3.45 uh, uh, in the middle of, in the peak of uh, June. So again, in six months, they've raised, 10-year hasn't moved up, and stock market hasn't moved down. So I don't know. I'll push back that they're not trying to crush the market. They certainly are trying to, to stop the market from doing, you know, uh, aggressive expansion. But I don't know, Derek. Hard to say they're actually causing a lot of damage in the last six months. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, it is interesting, by the way, you, you mentioned interest rates. And I think I saw, I'm trying to find it now, the, the person who originally did the three month, uh, you know, yield curve above three month above ten, and that guarantees a recession every time. Uh, I'm oh, looking for it now. Invert. Yeah, yeah. When when those yeah. invert, I mean, the three month rate is higher than the the ten year rate. Um, Paul Harvey. Here I found it. Paul Harvey is the guy who was the economist, and I think he said it may not wind up in a recession this time. Um, economist says his indicator that predicted eight re- U.S. recessions is wrong this year. Well, I, I mean, I would go back to your uh, the labor numbers and say, you know, uh, have there been recessions with an unemployment rate at this level before? No. No. Right. So you have these very, you know, uh, uh, I'll say high profile, big fundamental data points that are absolutely at odds with with each other. Now, you know, the bulls will hold on to the, you know, the labor force data as the reason why this market is really not as bad as it's being priced out. We you and I have quoted a lot of other fundamental data points like P ratios, earnings themselves, right? There's a lot of stuff out there that could certainly make it hard to get, you know, be bullish this market. But if we're talking about recession, the R word, and we've we've talked about that many times, well, we're not sure it really actually matters if we, we claim to have one or not. Uh, I think it's hard to point to something that gives you a definite yes. I'll throw another contrapoint out there, uh, maybe a contrarian view, is every economist, I think, has said we're going to have a recession, right? Except one. I feel like the contrarian in me says, yeah, the market will do the thing that frustrates the most people, and that would mean not actually having a recession. Everyone can't be right. And everyone wasn't right last year. They all said, hey, it's going to be 52.25 at the end of 2022. Uh, by the way, Jay, the, uh, found the, the quote. So Paul Harvey said, my yield curve indicator has gone code red and is eight for eight in forecasting recession since 1968 with no false alarms. Harvey now a professor at Duke University. Uh, I have reasons to believe, however, that is a that it is flashing a false signal. Very interesting. And he said, uh, but why does he think it's a false signal? He said, avoiding the hard landing recession and realizing slow growth from minor negative growth. If a recession arrives, it will be mild. And I think he looks at the labor force. I'm not going to read the whole, you know, whole, (laughs) I'll put a link to the article. But yeah, um, that's okay. It's really interesting because it's a data point that you and I have pointed to on you know multiple occasions as 
look, this is this is definitely a red flag for you know potential recession. I do think though, Derek, that any let's say we don't have a recession if every, if everything stays as is and international goes as things are today, which is clearly an impact uh, on the U.S. markets. You know, just whatever the political situation is there. I do think we are more susceptible right now to a market uh, event than, you know, than a year ago. Like we're, 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 we're weakened, right? The market could be weakened uh, uh, by this. Uh, and if there is something that, you know, could shock the market, uh, I think that could be pretty detrimental, right? We haven't talked about the, what did nobody see coming situation in a while, and I don't know what it is because nobody sees what's coming, right? We, everyone's already got their eyes on Russia and Ukraine. Everyone's got their eyes on, uh, you know, the the, the pandemic, uh, how it's impacting the world. But you know what? There's something that we don't have our eyes on that you know could pop up in 2022. I do think the market is going to be susceptible to a dramatic uh, sell-off, right? Because I think there's a lot of apathy in the market right now. I think people are just tired, right? End of year statements are coming out. People are looking at him go, oh, that was a bad year, right? And I don't, I think the optimism level uh, of individual investors is probably, you know, feeling a little beat down. So I do think if we have something out of the blue, right, I'm not going to call it a black swan, but it could just be something dramatic that happens. I do think the market is, is susceptible to that. Whereas in the past, maybe, you know, we're a little more resilient to that kind of an event. Uh, 2020 is a good example there. But, uh, you know, I guess you could say the Fed has more bullets if they had to cut in a hurry because of something. But odds are they won't. So I don't know. Digest that. I know we didn't talk about that. Uh, we haven't talked about that before. But I do think we're more fragile using, a, you know, a market term that some people use. Uh, I don't know. You got thoughts on that? Yeah, it's always the thing that everybody worries about is the thing from the last recession. And the thing that they worry about is usually the wrong thing. Like you're, sometimes you're worried about the wrong things. I'd gone to an investment conference and they had a futurist. And that's, that's a guy who gets out there and talks about the future and he makes a lot of future predictions. And I remember that line. He goes, most people are worried about the wrong things or focused on the wrong things. And even if you're right, you may not get the players, the names, the exact structure correct. And I think you're right on that. You know, we, we really don't know. And there's conflicting, you know, this, this is really the, the year of conflicting data. You look at the PMI numbers. PMI is, you know, the manufacturing index surveys. And, you know, I mean, new orders are contracting. Uh, the level of PMI is at a point, you know, I think 49.6%, which in past years or past recessions, when it's that low, you have a recession. But the thing is, when everyone says something is going to lead one way, sometimes it doesn't happen. And I agree. I mean, this has been a very frustrating market. Heads you lose, tails you lose. It's part of the reason why, you know, we don't try and pick markets. We, on, at a high level basis, you, you invest, you want to have time in the market, but you want to have, be hedged or buffered. If anybody wants you know, more information on that or just has ideas for shows, uh, you can reach out to me at Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-R-E at Z as in Zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple. Financial's up to you to spell correctly, dot com. But yeah, Jay, I mean, it, it's like, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, I've never seen, I shouldn't say I've never seen, 
But the group think and everyone's saying the same thing. Like, Jay, you watch CNBC and everyone comes on there. You know, our base case is a recession in the next X number of months. Uh, we don't think it's going to be a bad recession. If you go back like 12 months or two years from now, what was everyone saying? They were saying the same thing. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, some of this stuff. And look, you and I have always said, in the end, what are people earning, meaning, you know, companies? And we have earnings starting next week. Um, I mean, to me, I know you, you like to look at tech earnings. We have a couple of big names that will come out next week. Like earnings, this is our first real view of what companies are saying and what the numbers are, right? Yeah, like we've been waiting for this, right? We knew that uh, this would be the quarter most impacted by the activity of the Fed throughout the year, right? So Q4 of 2022 was when I think, you know, when they started raising rates, everybody knew there was so much momentum in the first half of the year uh, that we really know how badly, you know, or I'm a less economic activity and how earnings are being impacted in this quarter. So I think these are really highly anticipated uh, numbers. And, you know, mo usually the first kind of uh, asset class, I shouldn't say asset class, sector to announce are the financials. And, you know, Friday the 13th, I just realized it's Friday the 13th. Oh, boy. Uh, we are going to get earnings from uh, almost all the major banks, right? JP Morgan, Bank of America, BlackRock, Mellon. Citibank, Wells Fargo. By the way, Derek, thank you for putting that list together. You made me just look like I really knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, all of that's coming out on Friday uh, after that CPI number on Thursday. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. Like, we, I don't know if anybody thinks that there's going to be a lot of, uh, like with an inverted yield curve and, and stuff like that uh, for banks, harder to make money, less loans probably happening with higher you know, mortgage rates and stuff like that. But they always give some insight, especially uh, Bank of America and JP Morgan, as to economic activity on credit cards. They give debt level numbers, right? They give account level numbers, right? How much cash is sitting in the accounts? Like all that kind of stuff is going to be really interesting to watch to see if, you know, are we starting to see some cracks in the, uh, in the, in the strength of the U.S. consumer? So that's one of the things I'm really watching for on Friday. But I think you want to focus in on some market movers on Thursday, right? I got to tell you, it's one of the, the most underwatched companies. It's Taiwan Semiconductor. They report Thursday. I don't know if it's pre or post market, but that's moved the market a couple times. And the yeah. semiconductors have moved the market. I mean, everything with the supply chain. I mean, to me, I, I don't know where semiconductors are going to go, uh, but a lot of people point out that they're essentially getting free money from the government right now to to fund their CapEx. In Arizona, Taiwan Semiconductor is building a massive plant. It's like the highest foreign direct investment ever in Arizona. But I think that's a good bellwether um, that people don't tend to focus on. And I'll be interested to see what they say and what they say about future demand. Uh, Jay, that's an interesting one. And then on the banks, the non-performing loans. I mean, usually you got to listen to the conference calls. Great way to do that. I like the quarter app. And I have no sponsors for this show, so it's not like they're sponsoring. But quarter, <laughs> like it's Q-A-R-T-R. I got to look at the spelling. But it's, it's an app. And the cool thing is you can listen to an earnings call, but they have a button that, that you could just fast forward directly to the Q&A, which is the interesting part, because everything else I could just read in, in the statement. And I want to see what they're... Don't they have to like hold back if they think there's potential loan loss 
they have to hold back a certain amount of earnings or or cash. So yeah, I mean, I I think there's going to be some really interesting insights in those calls. And Jamie Dimon doesn't, he's not the primer anymore on on the JP Morgan ones, but he's on the call. When analysts start getting into it, I mean, he usually gets into it with them, which is interesting. So yeah, I mean, that's our first look, Jay, and it's going to be earnings, you know? And the nice thing is we have CPI, but let's say CPI is bad. And then the earnings come out and the companies give good forward guidance. That eradicates the badness from the CPI, right? Or accentuates it. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I, I still think CPI is a thing driving uh, what the market's going to do, you know, the, the week after that. Um, financials, uh, to me, don't have as big of an impact as... Uh, you may see with like, say, industrials or tech, which are, you know, in the following weeks. So I don't know. I think while it's interesting to watch financials, it should give you a glimpse. But I have seen financials go the exact opposite way of what the market ends up doing for that earnings season many times. So I still give CPI, uh, uh, you know, the main impact for, for, you know, the next few weeks. Financials also in 2022, they had declining earnings. Their revenue is up a little bit, um, and they're, you know, which tells me their margins are are breaking down a little bit. Let's. I want to see can companies, you know, if earnings don't fall that much, even if they're flat. Uh, I think the expectation. I I don't know if the expectation is too high. I think it's what two twenty eight is the the EPS on the S and P for uh, for two thousand twenty three, something like that. But yeah, to me, this goes back to earnings and we'll get a, we'll get a first look next week. So we'll see. Jay, I wanted to, uh, to ask, by, by the way, um, should we just go to recommendations? I think we've, we've gone through everything on our list, right? Yeah, 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 sure. Let's hit it. All right. Uh, first one for me is if you're a, a fan of NFL football with both, both of us are, of course, I think the Giants clearly are winning the Super Bowl. Uh, this week is always a really fun week, and then the divisional. The Super Bowl. I want to make sure. Yeah, that obviously I, not. The yeah, speaker wasn't broken there. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> by the way, I couldn't be in more agreement. It's the best team in football. Yeah, uh, obviously. So yeah, this week's a fun week. Next week is a fun week, um, and I, I think it would be good to for the NFL to get back to uh, you know some. It was crazy. I don't know if you saw last week. Uh, Hamlin, the Bills' safety. It reminded me in 1997. I don't know if you remember that game, Lions Jets, where the guy. Different circumstances, but they were doing CPR on the guy and took him away in an ambulance. So, uh, but yeah, I'm look. I that's one of my recommendations. Like you, even if you've casually been watching football, you got to start watching this week and then obviously the division. I, th- I think it's some of the best weeks. Don't you agree? Uh, yeah, like for, so with the team that we both follow the giants very closely, it doesn't really matter. So I would say there's probably better games to watch than that one this week, but yeah, I mean, things are getting kind of exciting. There's, there's a handful of like really, you know, strong teams this year. And then it's like bottom of the barrel It's very, very, definitely very interesting. So uh, it'd be great to see some of the, the, the matchups that you get in the, in the playoff environment. Um, you know, regarding the bills player that went down last week, um, uh, you know, I think it's it's uh, somebody pointed out to me that this happened with a player in soccer and, uh, you know, guy had a heart attack on the field. They revived him. Uh, they brought him back and he's still playing, you know, so I don't know what's in uh, what's in store for number three on the bills. But, uh, you know, we will 
we will see how it impacts the game. If it does, it, I don't know if it will too much, but of course we wish him, uh, uh, you know, recovery. Yeah, um, obviously. I, By the way, somebody yeah. said if this is going to happen to anybody, like the best place for it to happen would be at a hospital would probably be ranked number one. Uh, but somebody made the argument number two is probably a, a professional sporting event where you have ambulance equipment, staff, doctors right there. Uh, you know, yeah, no, that, that was, that was crazy. I mean, uh, and I, I immediately was thinking back to the, the 97 one, I think, uh, the linebacker, Reggie Smith had broken a vertebrae in his neck, but he stopped breathing. And I think it was an orthopedic surgeon wound up doing mouth to mouth. And he, he said, um, they actually interviewed him recently and he said, yeah, that was the only time he's ever done it before and since. So yeah, it's, it sounds like things are turning for the better for him, but, uh, yeah, NFL for sure this week. Uh, Jay, what do you have on, uh, any, any good recommendations? I, I have a movie too. So I'm going to do a little throwback here. Um, uh, my son is in a financial markets course and he told me that he is watching, uh, the big short in his class. But I also thought that's a great one to watch. So if you really want to put things in perspective, you could watch that or you could watch, uh, too big to fail. Right. If you haven't seen Too Big to Fail in a while, take a look at it. It may put things in perspective as to what happened in 2022, right? How this, what we're going through today is kind of a self-inflicted gun wound where, uh, a la Plaxico, uh, or compared to uh, an economy that is in the midst of crumbling and multiple sectors are going through major shutdowns and collapses and how, you know, uh, uh, we ended up having to get bailed out by our government, right? So I don't know. I'd say watch those two, right? Keep things in perspective a little bit. And then, of course, I told him to watch Margin Call, which is always a favorite of mine. The performance of Jeremy Irons is awesome in that movie. But uh, Margin Call is so good. Margin. So Jay, yeah, I'll put Netflix a link to this. It's it's not always on Netflix. It's on Netflix this month. Believe it or not. Is it okay? There are two episodes. I'll, I'll share with the audience too. We get stats on the podcast. And obviously a, an episode that was published three years ago, you know, just by nature of being available for three years beyond the initial period, uh, it has an opportunity to get more, more views. I think one of the ones we, we sort of deconstructed the 60, 40 portfolio must've been four years ago. That's still one of the best performing, but the number one all time in, in downloads for, for this, uh, this podcast, I did a, uh, sort of a, a take on Bill Simmons, The Ringer's Rewatchables, where I went through Margin Call, the movie, and I explained what they were talking about, like what credit default swaps were and things like that. That's the most downloaded one. And Margin Call is is pretty good too. I did one on Margin Call. So I may have to do one on, on Too Big to Fail. Uh, but th those are all great. I really like, you know, Margin Call to me, that was one for us, meaning the people in the business, because they didn't explain things quite as, as much, but the acting is tremendous. It was a little more of a drama story, right? Margin call, but like too big to fail goes through like historical events that you and I lived through in, you know, in 08. Uh, and we're in the middle of managing through it. Right. When we were, yeah, uh, no, that that's great. I'm going in the, there in you the yeah, I'm, I'm going old school to well, not old school. I can't believe a, a movie in the two thousands is old school, but I watched Cinderella man with Russell Crowe. And I'd never seen it before. Uh, somebody recommended it to me and I, I didn't know what it was. I was like, Cinderella is like, no, no, no. It's about a boxer. It's about a, uh, boxer's name with Braddock and in the depression era. 
and Russell Crowe pay, uh, plays him. And so it's really, really good. So that's uh, Cinderella Man is my, my recommendation for this week. Yeah, good one. I've definitely seen it. It's a good movie. You liked I will, it? Uh, I did. Oh, yeah, for sure. I saw it years ago. I will, uh, I will say, you know, my strong recommendation I made the other day, maybe a few weeks ago, four weeks ago, on the menu is now streaming if you want to watch it and you didn't make it to the movies. Watch the menu. The menu, yeah, it's. Back I, gotta, to it. I gotta watch that one, yeah. Uh, by the way, just just as an aside, um, I forgot to mention this, but somebody, you know, there's always the, uh, you know, markets haven't made a new high in so many years. Do you know that the the Spanish the Ibex 35 index ha- is exactly where it was? I think in April of 2009. Or March. So since March of 2009, it's the same price as it was back then. So all you would have is the dividends. If you bought at any time between 2009 and, and today, you're up. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, it's exactly the same price. Yeah, but if you bought at any time after that exact day, you know, it's been lower. Although, did it go up and come down or did it go down yeah. and come up? Yeah, it's been ranged. It's, it's gone up, you know, went up to well, been higher almost 12,000, okay. came yeah. down to 86, 85. Yeah. Same price. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you gotcha. bought March of 09 and you still held it, it's exactly the same, pretty much. Well, let's, you know, look, I mean, that's part of the reason why we like the U.S. market as our focus, right? Like the S&P does not have that kind of a chart, S&P 500. Uh, so it's one of the reasons why we stick in, you know, U.S. large cap investing is the, the kind of the, the basic benchmark, the main benchmark of everything that we do. Absolutely. All right, everyone, we'll uh, we'll call it there. Thanks, Jay, for uh, for coming on again. I'm sure we'll be back in uh, in future weeks to give more recommendations. Um, if anybody wants to send a, a request for us to cover a topic, Derek.more at ZigaFinancial.com. Jay, thanks for coming on. You got it. Take care, everyone.